Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all today. Happy Labor Day weekend. And uh, if you're new with us, thank you so much for being here. My name is Dan. And when you feel comfortable, we would love to get to know more about you, just your name and maybe a way to contact you. As you exit today um, on the, uh, at the boxes at the exit, there's a little connection card. And, and, and uh, whatever you're willing to share with us, we would love to tell you thank you for being here. And we'd love to get to know you more. A um, couple other announcements I wanted to mention real quick. Uh, we are excited that next week, we plan to start, start junior church back up uh, during the service. So yes, I, I heard more parents than kids give a woohoo there. Um, so I know parents are excited too. Um, Jana has already connected, I know with many of you with, with children. Uh, she said she'll also be available in the lobby after the service if you have any questions for her or, or you can email her your questions. Uh, but she's been working hard to prepare junior church uh, so that we can offer it in a safe way that takes into consideration the social distancing guidelines and all that. So thank you, Jana and Sam, both for all of your hard work ministering to our kids over the past six months. Yeah. Are they in here even? Okay, so you guys, okay, good. Glad you heard that. Uh, if you've got your Bible with you, let's jump in. We're gonna get to Ephesians 4, chapter, chapter 4, verse 25 here. Verse 25. I wanna share a story I read with you this week uh, by a pastor named T Pastor Tony Merida, who I talk about sometimes. He shared this story about his experience adopting his children. And this is what he writes. He says, after spending about 35 days in Ukraine in an effort to adopt our children, my wife and I finally had permission to go home with them. All of the legal work was done. We were eager to love them in many ways, including cleaning them up and giving them some new clothes. They'd been wearing the same smelly clothes and the same worn out shoes for 35 days. Imagine that, same clothes, wearing same clothes for 35 days in a row. Once we had permission to leave, we brought them some brand new outfits and I told the girls, girls, we're going home. And little Victoria asked, forever? And I said, yes, forever. And their faces lit up as I gave them their denim dresses, socks, shirts, and more. And this reminded me of our sewing ladies ministry, how the, the kids must feel when we give them their dresses. And I've seen it firsthand when we give those girls these dresses in Swaziland and their faces light up. And it says they, the girls went to the bathroom and they changed every garment. And in their orphanage, upon leaving, the children were required to leave behind every piece of clothing they'd been wearing. What a picture of the gospel, is what he says. They put off their old orphanage garments and the girls put on the new clothes from their adoptive parents. New clothes, a new identity, a new home, new security, a new way to live. And Christian, when God has adopted you into his family, this is what he has done for you too. He put away your old clothes for you. He put away your old self, your old life. And instead he clothes you with new, much better, much more beautiful clothes. He dresses you with the impeccable garments of his own righteousness. Isn't that amazing? Well, last week we, we talked about how often we are tempted though to put on our old selves again, to put on that old clothes. 
But Jesus tells us, put off that. Put that stuff off. Put off your old selves every day, and I want you to put on the new self that you have in me. This is how, he says, we as a church family will maintain the unity of his spirit among us, and this is how we will find our deepest joy in him. In today's passage, Paul then tells us five old corrupt garments to put off. And he tells us five new holy garments to replace those old garments with. So that's what we're gonna talk today, about today. First, he says, replace lying with telling the truth. Replace lying with telling the truth. Ephesians 4.25 says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So Paul tells us to put away falsehood or to put away every expression of lying in our lives. Put away lies, put away deception, put off dishonesty, put off duplicity, put off fakeness. And instead he says, put on the truth. Speak the truth with your neighbor. Put on truthfulness. Wear the new garments God has given you of honesty and integrity and genuineness. And do this, he says, because you're members of one another. See, a lying and dishonest and duplicitous lifestyle not only hurts you, and it not only hurts your family and the ones you love, it also hurts the body of Christ. Our actions affect one another because we are spiritually connected as family. And so for good or for bad, our actions affect one another. And the reality is that lies, falsehood, create pain and division in the body. But truthfulness is what maintains health and maintains unity in the body. And throughout uh, his word, God tells us over and over again, right, how much he hates lying, he, he hates falsehood, because when we lie, we're not imitating him, right? Who are we imitating? Satan, who, who Jesus says has been a liar since the beginning. So let's not forget that all of humanity uh, was broken by sin, uh, has rebelled against God because of sin, why? It was because of a lie. Because of a lie that we believed. We believed Satan's lie rather than believing God's truth. And that is a picture of what happens when we lie and what happens because of our lies. And so, so why do we do this even? I mean, why do we lie to one another? Because we're, we're, we're pretty good at it, right? We lie because we are liars in our sinful condition. We lie because we're prideful and we don't want to admit we're wrong about something. We lie because we're conceited and we want to make ourselves look better than we actually are. We lie because we're devious and we want to avoid punishment for doing something wrong. We lie to get ahead. We lie for the thrill of lying. We lie because we can't stop lying. And what Jesus says is, my beloved, I want you to put away, put off the garments of deception. Don't lie to your spouse. Don't lie to your family. Don't lie to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't lie to non-believers. Don't lie to the government. Being two-faced is the old you. 
It's not who you are now in Christ. Praise God. (laughs) And so as you seek to live a life of integrity, as you seek to, to speak the truth to your brothers and sisters in Christ, this is very important. Make sure you do that, though, in a caring way. Make sure you speak truth with love in your heart for the person you're speaking truth to. See, this command to speak truth with your neighbor is not a license to carelessly spew your opinions onto other people. It's not a license to use truth statements like knives that stab at people, okay? This verse is about being true and about being truthful like Jesus, who is full of what? Grace and truth. Grace and truth. They have to go together. So, so this verse is, is, is about us as a church family looking out for one another, rescuing one another from the dangers of deception, from the dangers of a deceptive life. It's, this verse is about being honest with one another, humble with one another in order to confess sin, in order to get right with one another. And this verse is about treasuring Jesus, who is what? The way, the truth, and the life. It's about speaking his truth to others in order to do what? To encourage others and to build them up in him. That's what it looks like to wear these new garments Jesus has given us. So sons and daughters of God, Paul says, let's replace lying with telling the truth in love. Second, replace sinful, angry behaviors with righteous, angry behaviors. Replace sinful, angry behaviors with righteous, angry behaviors. Ephesians 4, 26 to 27 says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So this is a verse we have to be really careful with. Uh, because we could easily misinterpret Paul's command here to be angry, right? We could use it very easily to justify much of our sinful anger, which he condemns only a few sentences later in verse 31. And so Paul here is not approving of all expressions of anger. And uh, we could say, though, one type of anger he certainly is allowing uh, is the type of anger we see in God. It's righteous anger, holy anger. It is right to be angry about the things that God is angry about. Um, and if you read scripture, you'll learn what God is angry about. Injustice angers God. Not caring for the poor angers God. Um, not being a voice for the voiceless angers God. Corrupting God's people angers God. Worshiping false gods angers God. And so if you're angry about these kind of things, because God is angry about those kind of things, that's okay, but I would still say this. You still need to be cautious with that anger because you're not Jesus, (laughs) okay? Anger can still be a very dangerous sword in your hands, even righteous anger. So, um, In addition to this, just in the natural course of living life as sinful people among sinful people, listen, we're gonna experience the emotion of anger, right? That's a a common emotion we feel. The question is then, what do we do with that anger? 
How do we allow that anger to play out in our lives, right? In verses 26 to 27, Paul tells us three things to do with our anger. First, he says, do not sin. So don't let your anger act out in sinful behavior. In general, right, we know it's a bad idea to act hastily when we're angry. Uh, It's better to step back, chill out, go to the Lord, entrust God with our anger, and trust that God will do justice and bring vengeance on all his enemies in the end. That's why God says over and over, just, uh, vengeance is, is mine, is what the Lord says. L- entrust it to the Lord. Do not let your anger act out in sinful behavior. Why is vengeance God's and not yours? Because he's God and you're not. That's why. Um, second, and he's holy and good. I mean, it's not just that he's God, God and powerful. It's he's holy, good. He will do perfect justice, unlike us acting out in a temper, right? Second, Paul says this, don't let the sun go down on your anger. So don't let your anger fester inside of you. Don't, um, you need to deal with it construct, constructively in a helpful way. Because uh, even righteous anger is like a blazing fire in summertime. Like we, have you guys follow, I mean, there's a lot of fires going around. (laughs) You know, it's kind of scary. I mean, our relatives, we were talking to them yesterday. I mean, there's fires all around where they're staying in in Wyoming. Listen, even righteous anger, you don't want that fire to get too big or it could spread and hurt you and hurt your family, hurt your church family. We have to learn healthy ways to resolve our anger in a timely manner, okay? Otherwise, that will turn into bitterness, which we'll talk about in a few verses here. Third, Paul says, give no opportunity to the devil. So the devil does not want you to deal with this anger emotion in a healthy, constructive way. That is, he does not want you to be constructive or restored in your use of anger. This is what it says. Christian, the devil is trying to get a foothold on your life, however he can. He's trying to get a grasp anywhere he can on your life, and he will even use your righteous anger if he can. And so we have to be very careful with anger. We have to be very careful that our righteous anger is actually righteous and that it's not just pride. Uh, We have to be careful that anger doesn't fester inside of us and eat us up and turn us into bitter people. We have to be careful not to allow Satan to use us as his puppets to hurt the ones we love, to hurt the church, to hurt ourselves. Give no opportunity to the devil. Like I said, we'll talk more about anger here in a few verses, but again, Paul says here, replace sinful, angry behaviors and put on righteous, angry behaviors. Third, replace stealing with hard work and generosity. Replace stealing with hard work and generosity. Ephesians 4.28 says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So stealing is taking something that doesn't belong to you, right? I've stolen, and I I imagine some of you have stolen before. I'm not proud of, of it. Stealing is dishonest, it's greedy, and it's lazy, and it looks a lot of different ways, stealing. 
Instead of stealing, Paul says the Christian should do three things. First, labor. And that means work hard. Work hard to earn your pay. Whatever we do for work, we, wanna, we want to do that task as though we are serving the Lord and not people, right? Now, obviously, there are times in a person's life when he or she can't work, um, but that's not what this verse is talking about. And moms, you are working in the home, many of you. Okay, that's work too. And moms, some of you are working outside of the home. And dads, some of you are working inside the home. And dads, some of you are working outside the home. It means whatever you're doing, do it for the Lord and not for people. Work hard. And that also makes your work a lot more meaningful when you're doing it for Jesus. And Paul is saying here, the norm for Christians is to work hard. Then he says this, do honest work with your hands. Do honest work with your hands. So instead of using your hands to steal, use your hands to do honest work. And, and don't engage in a type of work that works against the kingdom of God, right? Do honest work and do it honestly. And then third, he says, share with anyone in need. So instead of stealing because you're in need, Work hard so that you can share with others in need. God blesses us so that we will be a blessing to others. So what that means is we work hard, we live on what we need, and we share much of what we earn in order to love others and in order to grow the kingdom of God. That's, that's, that's what it means to be a steward of God and a disciple of Jesus with our resources. Replace stealing with hard work and generosity. Fourth, replace corrupting talk with uplifting talk. Replace corrupting talk with uplifting talk. Ephesians 4, 29 to 30 says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Jesus said that the words that we say flow out of what's contained in our hearts. And so if our hearts are truly no longer corrupt, if, if we are no longer hard and calloused, then we should not let corrupting talk come out of our mouths. That should not be the pattern of our speech. And what exactly is corrupting talk? Well, it's words and conversations that are exactly like the words and conversations we had when we did not fear God or love Jesus. And notice that Paul doesn't describe this merely as corrupt talk, as though he says corrupting talk, in that it corrupts its hearers. It's a type of talk that does not make anybody the better for hearing it. it. It does not help people become more like Jesus. It is talk that spreads filth. It is talk that fosters hatred in people's hearts. It's talk that sows discord in a church or in a family. And the Greek word here that Paul uses for corrupt, it means rotten and foul, rotten. It's, it's, it's used elsewhere in the New Testament to describe the smell of rotten fish. Have you ever smelled that smell of rotten fish? Several years ago, I took a teenager out fishing on the Stillaguamish, and uh, it was late fall. It was about a month after the end of the humpy run. And when we pulled up in the car next to the river, we could smell the stench. 
And as we walked closer to the river, the stench of death got stronger and stronger. And when we finally got to the river, we saw the dozens, dozens, probably hundreds of dead humpy carcasses rotting on the beach. And the smell was so bad. I remember that particular time, it made me sick. And I told the teenager who was with me, I said, do you smell that? So that is the smell of hell. You don't want to go to hell. <laughs> you don't want to smell that for eternity. That's the smell of rot. And what Paul says here is, Christians, don't speak rotting, foul words that smell like hell. Words like that do not make other people strong. Words like that make people sick. Speech like that grieves the Holy Spirit. Most commentators agree. You see how Paul goes right into, uh, in verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. That is directly connected in this instance to how we use our speech. And so we don't want to grieve God by the way that we talk. Um, instead, we want to bless the Holy Spirit with speech that is blessing, a blessing to him, which, with speech that is a blessing to others, which uplifts people. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation with others that smelled so rotten and spirit grieving that afterward you felt like you need to go home and take a shower. Have you ever been in a conversation like that? It's just, I'm a dad, so I'm gonna use this word, but it's yucky, okay? I'm like, that's how I felt afterwards. I mean, I can remember conversations like that. That kind of corrupt, unholy speech belongs to the old corrupt self, okay? We need to put it off immediately. And right now in our country, in our society, there's a lot of rotten speech. And it's not absent from the church. And we need to put off that old self. That is not of Christ. Instead, we, instead, we need to speak words that are gonna build up the body. We get to choose how we want to use our words. Use words that encourage the people around you. Use words that edify the people around you. That They are better having heard your, your speech. Use words that give grace is what Paul says. Give grace to the people who hear you. Words that minister to people. Words that make people feel loved and encouraged in Christ. Replace corrupting talk with uplifting talk. And fifth, Paul says, replace anger and bitterness with kindness and forgiveness. Replace anger and bitterness with kindness and forgiveness. Ephesians 4, 31 to 32 says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. There's the gospel right there. That, that last phrase there, as God in Christ forgave you. We're gonna get to more of that here in a sec. Paul tells us here though, put off all of these behaviors associated with anger. Put off all bitterness. Bitterness is unforgiveness and resentment toward one another. So he's saying, don't keep talking about how much uh, or how your brother and sister in Christ wronged you in the past. Forgive one another and move on. Aren't you so thankful God doesn't keep bringing up our past? <laughs> he says that over and over again. He chooses to forget. 
He, th- our, he throws our sins at the bottom, to the bottom of the ocean. He forgets. He puts them away. Put off all wrath, which, which refers to explosions of intense anger, explosions of um, fury toward one another. And then again, he says, put off all anger. Again, which we kind of qualified earlier. It's, it's not talking about righteous anger and it's not merely feeling angry. I think what he's talking about when he says put off all anger is you need to put anger to rest, okay? So if you are not putting off all anger, then you are continuing, you're choosing to be angry at one another. It's continuing to foster an angry spirit in yourself and in one another. There's a lot of anger in our society right now. And I was thinking about this. Christians, during this time in our country, do our non-believing neighbors see us putting away sinful, angry behavior? Or do our non-believing neighbors see us being just as sinful and angry as everybody else? It must not be so. (laughs) We need to have righteous anger and to have healthy ways of dealing with our anger that do not produce sin, okay? It's okay to be righteously angry, but we have to deal with sin and let that manifest itself in our lives in a healthy, God-glorifying way. If we don't, man, there's just, it's just like this explosion that goes off and there's all these little uh, shrapnel that, that comes off from anger. Like, like this, this next one, put off all clamor, loud, clamor, loud fighting, arguing with one another. We're so good at that. Paul says, put that off. Jesus says, put it off. Put off all slander, which is spreading lies about people to damage their reputations. We're gossiping about people. I don't know if this is totally true, but I heard that blah, 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 blah. It's like, shut it. <laughs> Sorry. By the glory of God, by the, by the spirit of God. Sometimes we just need to shut our lips. And I'm talking to me too, right? But it's, it's like, we're temples of the living, holy God. We gotta be careful what comes out of our mouths. And he says, put off all malice which is acting cruel toward one another because you want to hurt one another. You want bad for people. That's, that's not of the Lord. That is evil. And Paul says, put that off of you. Take that garment off. Oh, so thankful the Lord does not wear that garment toward us in Christ. <laughs> so all of these sinful, angry behaviors, this characterizes our old, unbelieving selves. And the only way we can be freed from this, these behaviors, and actually be empowered to glorify God in our lives is by being freed spiritually through the death and resurrection of Jesus and by being filled with the spirit of Jesus to do good works. That's it. And even when we're filled with the spirit, it's a battle, right? So that's why we're constantly learning how to pray and depend and abide in the Lord Jesus. Lord, help me here, please bring glory to you in this little area of my life. Our country is experiencing firsthand what happens when sinful, angry behaviors dominate it in many different realms. It's experiencing it right now. May God use us to be a light in the darkness by his word. That's, that's our prayer. Um, 
And then so instead of all this, Paul says, put all these things off, and this is what I want you to put on. He says, be kind to one another. Treat one another with kindness. That means being considerate of one another. Giving kind and thoughtful gifts to one another in your words and in your actions and in different forms. Aren't you thankful? I was thinking about this, man. Ah, aren't you thankful that God is so kind? <laughs> That's who he is. He is kind. Why did you repent from sin and trust in the Lord Jesus, or trust in the Lord Jesus? Because God is so kind to you. That's why. It's, and think about this. What is our eternal hope? It's in the everlasting kindness of God, which he says he is. Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So God's eternal plan is to act kindly to us by showing us the immeasurable riches of his grace by sharing his grace with us forever. So may this God of all kindness, who now lives in us, may he give us uh, both the desire and the power to be kind to others, even when they're not kind to us. That's hard. And may our church be built up with kindness. May, may our family, our church family, be known for being a kind community, right? Um, then Paul says, put on tenderheartedness. Be tenderhearted. This is the opposite of being hard-hearted. Like we talked about last week, that was, that was the way our hearts were. We were hard toward God and others. We were calloused. It's not how God is. He's tenderhearted. God wants you, Christian, to put yourself in the shoes of other people. Imagine how they might be feeling. And then he wants you to treat them with tenderness. He wants you to treat them the way that you would like to be tenderly treated. The way that he has treated you. And then Paul closes by saying, forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. So God gives us power to forgive one another when we remember how much God forgave us in Christ. But if we fail to remember the gospel, the heart of the gospel, Christ crucified for sinners because of his love for us, if we fail to remember how Jesus laid down his life to forgive us, we will act like our former selves when we're hurt. That will be our natural inclination. If we forget, why did Jesus rise from the dead? One of the main reasons he rose from the dead, he says, to declare us not guilty of our sins, to declare us justified in his sight. If we forget that, then it's gonna be really hard for us to forgive those who have sinned against us. Paul says, forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. Remember the mercy that Jesus lived out. Remember the mercy that God showed you when you were still unrepentant in your sin. And by the power of the same spirit of Jesus who lives in heaven, forgive one another. Forgive one another. Replace anger and bitterness with kindness and forgiveness. So, as the body of Christ, let's replace lying with telling the truth. 
Let's replace sinful angry behaviors with righteous angry behaviors. Let's replace stealing with hard work and generosity. Let's replace corrupting talk with uplifting talk. Let's replace anger and bitterness with kindness and forgiveness. This is what Jesus demands of us. These are not suggestions. This is what it looks like to be his disciple. Now, what great news it is that even though we will fall short of doing these things perfectly, Jesus already did these things perfectly for us. Amen? That in his death and resurrection, he already gave us credit for perfectly telling the truth and never lying. For always being righteously angry and not being sinfully angry. For working hard and being generous and not stealing. For always being uplifting and not corrupting. For always being kind and forgiveness and not being angry and bitter. We have been covered by the righteousness of Christ and hidden in him so that God looks at us in Christ and is so happy. He loves you and he is happy with you. If you don't know Jesus, you need to know Jesus because he loves you. You were made to bring him glory and to enjoy him forever. I pray that you would trust in him and trust this good news and if you want to talk more, I would love to talk with you. And you've got a room full of people who would love to tell you more about what Jesus means to them and what he's done for them.